Hi, this is Michael Waits, and welcome to AIP's News Roundup with Teresa Blissing, the founder of AIP, and Rahul Matur, an AIP ambassador. This episode is brought to you by Uncharted. In this rapidly changing environment, the ability to operate your business online is mission critical. Powered by Uncharted's core insurance and distribution platform, carriers and brokers now have the ability to launch new distribution channels in a matter of weeks, and any product through any channel, in any market, in just days. If your core insurance technology isn't providing your business with an enduring competitive advantage, visit www.uncharted.global or email info at uncharted.global to speak to the team. Teresa, how are you doing today? Rahul, how are you, how are you doing as well? I'm good, Michael. How are you? How are you, Rahul? I'm doing good, Um, just enjoying myself at home as always, and I shouldn't be attacked by any birds today because I'm indoors for a change. I was going to ask you, I don't hear like the livestock or whatever is normally there, the birds flying around, so hopefully that means you're (laughs) safe. (laughs) Let's Let's just jump right into this. As always, there's a lot to talk about. Rediscovery, and this is good, right? In the midst of all this stuff that's going on, people are still getting funded. There's still a whole bunch of news taking place in the insure tech space. Um, Rahul, talk to me a little about Rediscovery, the funding that they have, and maybe a little bit of the story about how this company was founded. Yeah, absolutely, right? So Rediscovery is one of those interesting uh, insurtech startups in the insurance service space, which means they provide this uh, API infrastructure for some of the incumbent insurance companies to distribute their existing products in a plug-and-play fashion with uh, all of the e-commerce platforms or any kind of new distribution channel out there. Um, Discovery went through like a fairly interesting journey where they began life as a commercial insurance uh, broking platform. But I think they pivoted towards the back end of 2018 into the insurance as a service or API-led infrastructure play. Uh, I guess the reason why they're in the news right now is they raised a um, $1.3 million pre-Series A from uh, some pretty good um, investors. And it's fairly, it comes at a very interesting time where there's several Indian insurtech startups that are raising, you know, a couple of uh, sessions back, we discussed uh, Metamorphosis, which also raised its uh, pre-Series A round. So I keep my eyes out for all of the API infrastructure plays that are taking place. It's uh, it's become like a fairly hot topic in India as well with uh, YAP and Setu also raising in the fintech API infrastructure space. So it's actually good to see Discovery raise money as well. Got it. What's the significance of this API um, infrastructure? Why is this such a big deal and why is it becoming so prominent now? I think it's it's a good question, and I'm sure Teresa also has like her thoughts on. It. But for the for the Indian context, it's mainly because there are roughly thirty odd incumbent uh, insurance companies, and I'd say no more than uh, five of them are actually capable of uh, offering their products in a fully digital, um, I guess, plug and play fashion. Right. So it's almost like they're providing them the infrastructure to go digital. I guess this is why you saw the likes of an ACO insurance being founded as an embedded insurer. 
but it's almost like uh, Rediscovery is providing an Aco style experience, but underwritten by every other insurance company that is in India. Yeah, but what does this mean though, right? In other words, they say it's insurance in a box. So does that mean that I can use the Rediscovery APIs to connect to any insurance company in Thailand or anywhere else in the world, and then offer on the on the backside the sales process to people so that I can then make a commission? Because it that is it that robust? In an ideal world, yes. But I think in the in the current stage where they're at, it's uh, it's more that they have a certain set of insurance products that you can plug and play with. Okay. And for each one of those products, they have a dedicated underwriting partner. So it's still kind of like the early days, and this kind of reminds you of uh, Cover Genius, which uh, yep. we discussed some time back, where their kind of goal is to create this. Uh, single api for insurance capacity and interestingly uh, cover genius like teresa mentioned earlier in one of the episodes is uh, is in india right so it's interesting timing you have discovery cover genius and i'm not sure whether some of the other players like trove and slice labs from uh, the west will follow yeah so we talk a lot about digital transformation right but you mentioned that only 5 out of a certain number of insurance companies in india are actually able to use these APIs. Like, What does it really take to integrate these APIs into the insurance companies? How long does it normally take? And for the five that are doing it, that's great. But for the 30 or so others that aren't or more, what do they have to do to get ready to be able to use these APIs and take advantage of the benefits that they have? It's a difficult question, right? I mean, yeah. the, the, the middleware integrations would be very uh, company-specific. Mm-hmm. But we're we're soon gonna have uh, Amit from Metamorphosis on the show. Yes, he'll give us a lot more context to this. But I think he'll tell you it can range between three months to six months in some cases. Okay, and that just highlights the extent of uh, infrastructure engineering that goes on behind the scenes, and it's I guess mainly influenced by um, I guess all of the uh, legacy infrastructure that they have. Got it. Teresa, what do you think about this one? Rahul already already mentioned it. And um, to your question, uh, Michael, how long it takes, that really depends on how digital ready um, the insurance partner is, right? So have they got their, their legacy system in order or is there still work to be done in order to be able to plug into uh, an API? And that is you know highly different from, from insurance uh, incumbent to insurance incumbent. The multinational ones are um, often a bit more advanced um, compared to uh, to the more like local players. But yeah, most of the insurance incumbents, I think, are still struggling with their with their legacy. But uh, API is certainly a big topic um, at the moment, and uh, we also have some other news coming out of Hong Kong, Jetco uh, here partnering with Go Lion. GoLion was initially known as, I think, WeSure, but um, are now uh, rebranding under under GoLion. Um, it's also a company providing API solutions for uh, insurance companies, and they have partnered now with um, Jetco. Jetco is actually a Hong Kong company um, that is responsible for most of the uh, bank ATMs in in Hong Kong. Um, I think they were initially started in the 
uh, in the 80s with a group of insurance companies. I think it was like Bank of China um, and uh, some others. And they take care of the um, ATM infrastructure in Hong Kong, but they also launched now um, the JetCo um, API X, uh, where they connect e-commerce player with uh, banking partners. Uh, they are apparently working with 14 different banks and uh, connecting to over 20 um, service providers. And they now also um, integrated GoLine APIs to offer the insurance component. So not only the payment component, but also insurance component. And they are working with companies um, such as Blue, the uh, new insurance company started by uh, Aviva. Tencent and Hill House, yeah. Tencent, Hill House. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, yeah, we are seeing here the same moving into into API. And uh, at the end, this is uh, enabling one of your favorite topics, Michael, alternative distribution. <laughs> Everybody's a wise guy. What I want to know now, though, right, is you see these companies, and we just talked about it, right, whether it's Jetco with Golion, right, or Riscovery. Now you have all these people creating their own APIs. But if you're an incumbent insurance company, how many of these APIs can you actually use? And how many can you connect to? And if it's three months to connect here and six months to connect there, do we think that we're going to, and I'm going to ask this question again later about something else, but do we think there's just going to be consolidation with all these companies that are creating APIs so that then they can connect out to insurance companies and distributors? Like, how is that going to work? And I know we don't know for sure, but who's going to win this thing, right? That's a that's a good question, but uh, in an ideal world, once insurers have, um, you know, their their legacy system and their IT infrastructure in order, um, they should be able to, um, you know, plug in um, different APIs from different providers, and then I guess um, it depends who um, has the best partners, right? Um, because API is at the end um, the tool to connect. Um, with the with the ecosystem, of course, right? yeah. Of um, course. So, in 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 case of um, Jetco and um, GoLion, now um, they are connecting to Group uh, Buyer in in Hong Kong, which is a, mm-hmm. a group buying uh, platform. And I guess it it really depends on the on the partners, right? And and so I would guess for the API providers. Um, for them, it is most important to to partner with the right e-commerce businesses. Um, what what is your thought on this, Raul? To be honest with you, I think the the whole you know middleware and now the the open API layer thing will most certainly see a bit of consolidation. I mean, it's been around for fairly long, right? Yeah. I mean, Ebautech, who was on uh, our show like quite a while back has been in business well before 2010. Sure. And yeah, I think it's, at the end of the day, it's it's something which every carrier has to do. And what's pretty much going to end up happening is guys like Cover Genius, um, Rescovery, and all of them might be viewed by uh, some of the incumbent insurance CEOs as their outsourced innovation team, where these guys will uh, go around and find like new distribution channels and then plug and play their products for a commission. So there's also a fear I have there that some of these businesses may, may become 
um, too services heavy rather than being product heavy. And that could also kind of stifle um, growth in the future yeah. because you're kind of dependent on someone else's um, customer base growing and someone else underwriting the product you're selling. So you're kind of wedging yourself in a B2B relationship, which um, is always kind of tricky. Yeah, I just worry about who's going to own the customer. And, you know, just to get back to both of these conversations on the API side, I was on the phone a couple of days ago with an insurtech company and an accelerator program. And, you know, the insurtech was selling themselves to the accelerator program, trying to get in and stuff. And one of the things, because the person wasn't that knowledgeable on the accelerator side about insurance and insurtech, said, why wouldn't the big insurance companies just do this on their own? Which is a familiar refrain, right? It's like, why wouldn't Google do that? Why wouldn't Facebook do that kind of thing? I think you and, and Teresa bring up really good points. It's just like they still have to get themselves ready. We talk a lot about digital transformation, but they still have to get themselves ready to be able to handle something as straightforward as APIs, there's no way that they're going to be able to build all of this sort of digitally native stuff on their own from, from the get-go. At least that's, that's just my opinion. Let's move on to Gobert. And we talked about them a week ago, maybe two weeks ago, I can't remember. And, you know, I kind of sarcastically joked, is it Gobert, is it Go no Bear type of thing, but they've raised more money and I also want to make the point, like I'm trying to figure out what is the deal with these, with animals and insurance and insured tech companies, right? It's GoBear, RiskWolf, GoLion. What's the deal with, with that? And then you can, you, can you talk a little bit about GoBear raising this money? You want to start with you, Teresa? <laughs> Um, that's a good question. I think it's uh, it's part of the strategy to make uh, insurance more approachable um, and give it like a, a different image, right? Uh, we also saw like uh, Avo uh, insurance in uh, in Hong Kong, which is yeah, I think it has a lot to do with with giving it a, a different uh, a different Feel. image and not yeah. this like cold uh, financial service untouchable. Um, uh, yeah, perception. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> that that would be my take. <laughs> and what's the go thing? I don't know. We can talk about that anyway. But but what's the significance of this funding? The more funding for for GoBear, right? We talked a lot about the founders leaving and all this other stuff. What what does this really mean? Yeah, it's it's really an interesting one, and it looks like the funding comes again from the funding members, uh, so Aegon and Valves, who have been investing in GoBear and actually started GoBear. Um, from the very beginning, I think the yeah. um, the founder uh, was even coming from from Aegon, right? So that is actually um, a very Dutch investment into Singapore by by these two companies, and they also now have been the um, the participants in, in in this funding round. We talked about this uh, in the last episode. So GoBear seems to be changing their strategy, moving away from just being like a meta search yeah. platform, which they which they started at, right? Um, to now become a, a full-fledged uh, insurance aggregator. They also acquired Asia Credit to now become like a lending platform and actually be um, the lender. They have acquired the insurance brokerage license in Thailand and I believe Hong Kong. Um, so they are definitely changing their strategy and the investment now could also be, you know, fueled by the current pandemic that they now see it's the time for online distribution and having um, like online brokerage license. 
as more and more people are turning to uh, online distribution in, in, in insurance, um, and that's a topic we just talked about in our um, last AIP live panel. Yeah. So that might be um, behind this additional funding here. I've got a question for both of you. What do you think about these companies just continuing to double down on this, particularly as the founders were leaving? You know, they have this three-pillar strategy and stuff. We, we talked about it before. Is this going to work? To be completely honest, Michael, so firstly, on the animal bit, we all know koala from Indonesia <laughs> is again named after an animal. Yeah. I was just uh, I was just waiting to mention that. But, you know, specifically on Gobert, right, I think... 17 million can also be viewed as a bridge round because they've raised uh, way more in the past. So I wouldn't be, um, you know, too surprised to see them put that kind of money in. And what I'm increasingly seeing is, uh, you know, this is like a throwback to the pre-2010 eras where founders would kind of rarely remain uh, associated with the company all the way up to IPO. I think it's... uh, it's just become a bit of a trend recently where you see uh, founder-led companies going, you know, all the way from idea to IPO. So maybe, and, and Teresa's point, right, this could perhaps have just been a bit of like an entrepreneurship stint where the founders got pulled out of their, um, you know, day jobs because they had some great ideas or were good on execution and built like a challenger business for Acon and the other investors in uh, Southeast Asia. Yeah, fair enough. And this is a kind of the same strategy that Aegon is pursuing in India as well, right, with uh, Aegon Life Insurance. So I guess in retrospect, maybe not as surprising, but definitely one to kind of uh, watch out for. Teresa, what do you think? They are definitely on the on the path to transform this business, right, to um, tap into the, the new markets of being like a fully licensed online uh, insurance broker, um, having like this comparison site. Well, when they started, they would just you know link to the insurance companies. Right. Um, they were more of a of a trip advisor. Where now they are seem to go more towards the the past like a like a policy bazaar uh, on the carrier side. Mm-hmm. And now also the the new what do you call it, like digital lending, um, where they apparently do the lending themselves. Um, so are not working only with partners, but also are. Um, a licensed lender with Asia Credit, and um, yeah, um, interesting to to see uh, where they will be going. And uh, talking about the that could just be um, funding to to bridge at the moment, and also the the difficult times with COVID nineteen around. And we also had the news that the Monetary Authority of Singapore now has a new grant for fintechs and insurtechs. Um, to help them over these difficult times. Um, so they have now allocated $6 million, uh, Singapore dollar for fintechs and uh, insurtechs to help them. Some of it is designed as grants for like uh, day-to-day uh, working capital expenditure, um, but also for companies who are running their first proof of concepts and then um, give them a bit more cash and, and breathing space here. Oh, there's some very interesting stuff in this story, though, right? Like, this this little bit of cash injection follows on from what they did in April, which was 87, almost $88 million U.S. dollars, and this is $4 million. This is where Singapore really shines, doesn't it? In other words, they have all these fintech and insurtech companies there, and they're just saying, we're going through extraordinary times, and we're just not going to let people die because they're running out of funding. 
because of exogenous forces. Like if your business is bad, your business is bad, and that's one thing. But if the environment is bad, we're going to try to sort of support the environment. And this, I think, is where Singapore just super shines. No? 100% agreed there, Michael, right? And, and, and I guess what, what really caught my attention from this, from the monetary authority, apart from the fact that, you know, full kudos for being like a regulator that's proactively engaging with the ecosystem. Sure. But when I look at the, you know, 6 million grant, I saw that 2 million of that is coming from uh, yep. AMTD. AMTD, yeah. And very, yeah, and very interesting, right? These are the guys whose um, digital subsidiary acquired a controlling stake in Policy Paddle, which is the first in short act to go through the monetary authority of uh, the MAS uh, FinTech Sandbox. Yep. And very interestingly, they're also the company which has a 10% stake alongside Xiaomi in a Hong Kong digital bank, which I think is called uh, Inside Fintech or something along those lines. So I just find it very interesting that uh, AMTD is doing all of this uh, activity in the um, in the ecosystem. And a lot of it has just come towards uh, mid-2019. So maybe watch out for these guys, right? Because it's... Um, it's kind of now like a banking insurance play for them. They're playing around with the regulator as well. Uh, I'd be very interested to see how this progresses. Yeah, this is really interesting, right? Because you're right. So four million Singapore dollars of this money comes from the MAS, but two million comes from AMTD. AMTD is a private listed company, and it'll just be interesting to see like what their angle is here. But yeah, very interesting for sure. Okay, let's switch gears a little bit and talk about Gram cover and talk about they rate they did a pre-series A raise. You know, again, I'm I get a little tired of some of this terminology, as you both know. Pre-series A, what does that really mean? Like, did you already do a series A? How do I know it's pre-series A? Or presuming you're gonna raise a series A? Anyway, Gram Cover is doing something that's interesting and actually really relevant. You want to talk about how they're trying to tap the sort of rural parts of India for this InsurTech platform that they're building. Do you want to start on this one, Rahul? Yeah. Um, so Gramcover has been around for uh, quite a while now. And I guess their pre-Series A raise is very well deserved because their, uh, I think for, for FY20, their gross written premium was about 10 million US dollars. Okay. So I'm just going to pause for a second here, right, guys? This is 10 million US dollars of premium where someone's selling it to customers in India, where the purchasing power is low, and in rural India, but to the agrarian folk. And you could just imagine if you had to convert this on a purchasing power parity basis to, um, I guess, mainland USA, you'd have to apply like a 10x multiplier. And you can kind of see it in the size of the customer base as well, right? So they've served um, 1.3 million customers. Yeah. Yeah, and they've added about 190,000 new customers in uh, FY20 itself. So these guys are really on to something. And I guess what kind of stood out to me uh, with regards to Gram Cover is uh, they've got a, a nice set of, um, I guess, farmer-focused insurance products like uh, weather and um, index-based uh, insurance schemes. And it's very interesting because uh, these kind of covers are not available 
from a lot of the high street insurers per se so they're kind of backed directly by uh, reinsurance companies via the uh, agricultural insurance company of india so they they kind of trying to innovate on the product side as well and not just on the distribution side so it's it's truly fascinating that right? i think people should uh, pay a bit more attention to the inclusive insurance folks Teresa, do you have anything to add on this one? Yeah, I find microinsurance uh, really fascinating, especially when we are talking about uh, microinsurance um, in terms of uh, like getting insurance to lower income groups, right? right. So we, when you are talking about microinsurance, you have on the one hand like these small bite insurance where you have like a, maybe a smartphone coverage or like these on-demand switch on, switch off. Um, small ticket uh, insurance, but um, you also have it in the context of making insurance available to like lower income groups um, where they are paying, um, I don't know, five to 10 um, US dollars a year in premium um, for like some very basic uh, insurance products, often around um, like crop and um, uh, livestock insurance, but also um, like health and life insurance coverages, right? Yeah, and the the tricky part with with micro insurance is always with like premiums, you know, as low as a as a few dollars. How are you going to pay any commission from that? Right. Yeah. So, and if you cannot pay a commission, how do you arrange your distribution? And considering we are talking about low income groups and in rural areas who have never been in contact contact with financial products right so they they don't understand this there's like very low financial literacy so these people actually really need someone to explain to them why they should buy an insurance coverage right because they've never experienced anything like that yeah um, but at the same time you don't have the margin to um, pay for you know like agency distribution for someone um, to talk this through with them um, there's a huge potential for microinsurance in, in low-income groups, but, but you know, it's just also very, very difficult to crack the, the code on how to distribute it and also how to uh, make it like scalable, right? Because yeah, microinsurance yeah. is only profitable if you have large volumes. Um, so that's, um, that's the tricky part. And as Raul rightly pointed out, a lot of the uh, major insurance companies, they are interested in it. They see that there's a potential, but they also recognize how difficult it is to tap into this market and um, they probably have uh, bigger fish to fry. So a lot of them are not really, really touching it. We see a few um, very interesting examples. Um, we had one one day on the show. Yep. Uh, you remember, Michael? And they are um, doing something similar together with um, Shiro's yes. um, in, India. in India. And uh, I believe it was Egon and, and, and Munich Re who are then providing this like critical illness for, um, for women, I believe. And again, here they managed to find a distribution platform, uh, in this case, um, Shiro's, where they um, get people in touch with these um, insurance products and they are not buying it, if, if you remember they are getting credit from watching ads and then um, as a result they receive this like micro insurance product so that might be a good way to get um, people in lower income groups familiar with insurance products um, to leverage like these kind of platforms 
Okay, do you want to talk a little bit about Thailand as well? I mean, there's this new partnership or expansion of this partnership between Accent Democrats. I mean, maybe you want to talk a little bit about what Democrats is. It sounds to me like the democratization of insurance, right? Yes. So, so Democrats um, is actually a Dubai-based in insurtech, um, and they are um, also doing exactly this, like uh, trying to find ways to make insurance more accessible to like lower income groups. Right. Um, I think they're their target is like uh, mid to low um, income levels and are also here working with different partners. They have already started last year a partnership with um, AXA and um, AIS in Thailand where they are giving insurance products to like the 33 million prepaid AIS customers and uh, use basically AIS as the, this, the distribution channel um, to offer these insurance products. And uh, it looks like um, they have been fairly successful here. At least um, AXA has now extended this partnership to other markets. So they are now planning to cover not only Thailand, but also Mexico, Egypt, and the Gulf. So yeah, that's um, also an uh, interesting interesting move of, of AXA here together with Democrats to bring these like micro-insurance products to um, lower income group um, population in these markets. Yeah, and interestingly enough, right, so we always give Michael flack because he talks about alternative forms of distribution. Using the phones and the mobile phones <laughs> to do this is great. But when I was talking to Yemin Lee a couple of days ago, we'll publish that, I believe, on um, upcoming on Monday. But, you know, I use that term alternative distribution, and he pushed back a little bit, and he was like, let's just call it distribution. Do you know what I mean? And it was really interesting. It made me, it forced me to rethink the way that I was thinking about this. But yeah, if you have 33 million customers prepaid, right? So those are the wealthier customers, right? They're not postpaid, which doesn't mean they, they don't pay after they use the phone. They pay before they use it. It should be a great distribution channel. And as they increase this, uh, or sort of, you know, increase this partnership, it'll just be really interesting to see how this works. Yeah, and also in, in, in Thailand with AIS, um, they are also offering it uh, basically for free or as like a loyalty program. program right? Right. So um, the people are not purchasing active this uh, insurance coverage, but they get it, get it as, uh, as a loyalty program um, because they are enrolled in the AIS prepaid um, SIM card and um, it, it covers um, uh, accidental death and, uh, and disability. Um, so, yeah, again, a, a great way um, to get people um, familiar with these uh, financial products and insurance products um, who have like, never purchased them in the, in the past. Fair enough. Okay, do we have anything else that we want to go over today? Or... No, I think that's, uh, we covered a lot of ground here, I think. Um, I had like three very interesting uh, themes emerging. Yeah, very. Um, so I started with API, then... Um, now the Singapore market with the GoBear and the funding and uh, now the, the microinsurance um, theme, uh, super interesting. Yeah, we'll just have to talk about why animals have to be involved in the insurance market. But if we're going to end with that, <laughs> I just want to thank both of you for coming on and doing this again today. Really awesome. And just thanks for taking the time out of your Saturday afternoon to do this. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Raul. Thanks, Michael.